Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. Today, I am so delighted to have Robin Hills with me. How are you, Robin? I am doing great, and thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for joining us today. Let me tell you a bit about Robin. He is the director of EI4 Change, a company specializing in emotional intelligence-based training, coaching, and personal development. He has taught over 300,000 people in 195 countries and is the author of two books. His educational programs are used in South Africa and India, and he's delivered keynote speeches globally. Robin has also developed the Images of Resilience coaching method and sits on the Northwest Committee of the Association of Business Psychology. Ooh, I love this stuff, emotional intelligence and psychology. So tell us about how did you start your career and how did you get to where you are today? Well, I started my career in selling, in sales. I was a pharmaceutical representative for many years, and it was a job that I thoroughly enjoyed. And I worked in the London teaching hospitals for 10 years, selling to the consultants, the doctors there, the nursing staff there. And it was brilliant. Like I say, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And then I moved up to the northwest of England to take up a leadership and management position. We were all assigned to different therapeutic areas and different geographical areas. So I had a team of sales representatives locally around the northwest. And then I progressed into working back in the hospital arena. And then after a few years, that role was made redundant. So I went into a leadership and management role in clinical research, helping people to progress their careers within clinical research. And after a number of years, that role was made redundant. So I thought, you know, I could actually make myself redundant here. So that was the opportunity for me to set up EI for Change. EI for Change is now in its 14th year and it's going from strength to strength. I love it. I love it. So can you tell us, you mentioned becoming redundant and I know what that means, but many of my listeners may not understand what becoming redundant means. What does that mean? Well, it didn't mean that I became redundant. It meant that my role became redundant. So what it is, is that the organization looks at its requirements and its headcount and it decided that it no longer had a role that suited my purposes and suited their purposes. So the role was made redundant and uh, unfortunately I lost my job and I left the company. But um, I don't like this word redundant, redundancy, because people then start to apply this word to themselves and they're not Mm. redundant. They are very much in a space where their role no longer exists, but they've still got a great set of skills and they can go out and utilize those skills. And the key really then is to find a role which suits them. Yes, here in the the U.S., especially during, you know, the time of late 2022 or early 2023, there's a lot of redundancy happening. And here we we call that layoffs. So people, a lot of times people take it personally because they're like, the company no longer wants me. The company no longer needs me. But as you rephrase that so well is the company has eliminated your role, right? And now we both own businesses and we can understand how sometimes from a strategic standpoint, you don't need as many people 
to do one thing or you're taking a different direction. And so you're like, we don't need this role. And a lot of times what happens is the leadership, they don't actually look at the people. They're like, what is the title? What is this person actually doing in the organization? Yes. And and I think uh, when we're looking at it from a strategic business position, it makes very, very good sense. And you're absolutely right. People go through the most amazing emotional turmoil. Now, I'm not going to judge that. People have to accept their own levels of resilience around these situations as they unfold. But it's up to that individual to realize that they are now on the cusp of something really different. Mm -hmm. It could be something wonderful. And I've got to look back and I've got to say that when I found that my roles were made redundant, I was actually quite happy with the decision. Now, happy is probably not the right word, but it was a decision that I could live with. And I was optimistic and felt very positive about it. Um, Okay, there were some days when uh, that kind of waned a little bit, particularly when you get the regret letter that comes from a series of interviews that you kind of psyched yourself up for. Am I ever going to get another job? I'm now in my 40s, 50s, whatever it was. So am I really very much on the scrap heap? And I think these are a lot of questions that people will go through and they need to find answers to when they are their roles being made redundant or, as you say, in the US, you've been laid off. So um, I'm actually very, very pleased with a degree of hindsight from where I am now. And, uh, you know, I say what most people say. It was the best thing that happened to me. And uh, quite honestly, I look at some of my friends and colleagues and even leaders and managers who led and managed me in the pharmaceutical industry, and they're still there. They're stuck doing a job that they've done for, what, 10, 15 years. And here I am. I'm an entrepreneur. I've gone out and made my way in the world. I'm doing something completely different. I just hope that they're happy doing what they're doing, but it wouldn't be for me. I completely agree. It's like that hindsight is twenty twenty, And when you're going through uh, a something that's difficult, whether you have chosen to separate your employment or your company has chosen to end that employment with you, you internalize the pain because you're like, well, I wasn't doing something right. And so I didn't stack up or they didn't want me or whatever we tell the lies we tell ourselves. That's what I like to say, the lies we tell ourselves. But on the other side of it, when we look back and we can see the people who are still in those positions. And we're like, wow, look what I've done. And my, I guess, story would be when I graduated from getting my bachelor's, I wanted to go get my PhD in chemistry. And I started in grad school. I had a full assistantship. Everything was paid for. And I decided this was not for me. I need a little bit more human interaction. And I was like, I don't want to do this. And I look at my colleagues, my friends, and they're doing well, but they're still in that same mode. And I've done so many different things. I've been a chemist working in a lab. I've been in sales. I've been in sales leadership. And now I own my own business teaching salespeople. And I started my career as a chemist. So it's like you look back and all the ups and downs and ins and outs, and you're like, wow, look at all the things that I've done because of something that happened early on to impact me and push me forward. 
Yes, that's it. And we've just got to look at it as being something very, very fortuitous. Now, interestingly enough, I was shopping in one of the big shopping centres in Manchester and I met up with a colleague. I just happened to bump into her and we were talking, oh, what are you doing now? I hadn't seen her, what, in five might even be 10 years. And it was absolutely fascinating because I was really interested in hearing about her career and how it had developed. But when I start talking about my career, I could see her eyes glazing over because she just did not understand what I'd done and how I'd done it and what I was doing. It was just totally beyond her level of comprehension. It was absolutely fascinating. So, you know, you just have to go where the opportunities take you and you just have to convince the people that you're engaged with that you're doing the right thing and you've got to firmly believe it yourself. That is the key. It starts with you. It's this inner voice, this inner self-talk, the, the conversations that we have with ourselves, talking ourselves out of this or saying, I'm not good enough for that or that sounds too hard. It's you have to believe it inside that I can do this thing. There's a really, really hard thing. And even when I get down, get knocked down, I'm going to get right back up. I'm going to try it again. Maybe I'll try it a little bit differently this time, but I'm going to keep going. So tell us, you took your some of the challenges that you had within sales and you said, I'm just going to start my own company. How did that whole transition happen? I don't know is the honest answer. I don't think it was quite as simple as, oh, I'm going to start my own company. It was a case of, right, I need to put the legal, decent, ethical, honest pound, because we have pound sterling in the United Kingdom, I need to put that into my bank account. Where am I going to get that money from? How can I utilize my skills in order to get that money? And, and that basically was the question. Now, a lot of people will say, oh, I can utilize my skills and get a corporate organization to pay me regularly on a monthly basis, a salary in order for me to exchange my time and exchange my skills for doing a job of work. Or I can go out there and I can look for opportunities to utilize my skills and experience and build up an amount of money that is appropriate for the skill set and the opportunities that I need to go out and sell to. So I think that's really how the business built up. And uh, quite honestly, when I look back, it was hard. No, no, it wasn't hard. It was very hard. It was extremely <laughs> difficult yeah it was very very difficult let's make no bones about it it is probably the hardest thing that i ever did because i had to pay for my mortgage keep a roof over my head feed and clothe the family keep them warm keep them entertained and uh, that all costs money and i needed to create wealth within the uh, within my situation in order to provide for them and um there were some months that were incredibly good and there were some months that weren't. And for the first few years, it was like picking up bits of chicken feed and hoping at the end of the month you had sufficient to fill a sack. <laughs> so, uh, you know, um, I could look back with hindsight and say, yes, it was a great time, but it was an emotional roller coaster. And I think people who are entrepreneurs all know that. They will see the success 
But what they haven't seen is all the hard work, the grind, the grit that is required to get you to that point. It's like an iceberg. They see the bit floating on the surface, but they do not see the bulk of it underneath the surface. Absolutely. It's it's one of the greatest joys as well as one of the, the hardest lessons learned as an entrepreneur is that you are fully dependent on you. Like if you have employees, they still have to get a paycheck. You may not get a paycheck, but they have to get a paycheck. And each and every day, each and every month, you have to show up and keep going and show up and keep going. And that's where our strength comes from. Our strength comes from that show up and keep going tenacity that we have. And again, it's about depending on yourself and believing in yourself. And I can remember times where I'm like, okay, so how is this going to get paid? How is that going to happen? Like I'm a single mom. So it's not only is it the company on me, everything's on me. It's like, I have to pay the mortgage. I have to pay for this. Oh yeah, mom, um, I'm growing out of my clothes. So we need more clothes. Right. And so it's like the things that you plan for and you don't plan for when you work within an organization. Yes, it comes with stress. Yes, it comes with heartache. Yes, you have to do things you don't like to do but you still get paid every two weeks or once a month, right? Whereas as an entrepreneur, you're like, yeah, I really enjoy what I'm doing. I'm loving, I'm loving, I'm loving. But you don't know if that next check is going to come, when that next client is going to come, if that client is going to pull back and cancel their contract, all the unknowns. Yeah, and it's very much peaks and troughs. Well, it was in my business uh, about 10 years ago. Uh, My business has transformed since then. So um, I think what we've got to do is to recognize that a life as an entrepreneur is great, but life as an entrepreneur is not easy. And the other thing that a lot of your listeners who are entrepreneurs will understand, but those who aren't probably won't, is the fact that I actually work more hours doing what I'm doing and thoroughly enjoying it than I would do if I was in a corporate environment, yep. in a paid job. I often ask when I have new people like, oh, I want to start my own business. I want to do this. I want to do that. I ask them this one question and it takes them a long time to answer. What is the one thing that you enjoy doing that you can do for 100 hours a week and not get paid and still love it? They're like, yeah. what? And if you think about what you want to do as an entrepreneur and that way those hard times become a little bit easier so you said about 10 years ago your business really transformed what was the light bulb what was the switch what what happened to really change things actually it was probably a little bit more recently than 10 years ago because um i was sitting there with my business having progressed the business, having grown it. And it kind of got to the point where it was stuck. And um, when it was going through a period of um, a trough, not a peak, I was sitting there thinking, right, where's the next bit of business coming from? And I had a lot of clients who would promise me contracts and then the contracts would just not happen for one reason or another. I had a client who had a heart attack, unfortunately, and it meant that their department changed their strategy. Um, I had a a client, I I was flying back from Saudi Arabia and I was just about to get onto the aeroplane to fly back to London to um, do a training course over the next couple of weeks. And I got a, a phone call from the CEO 
at that particular moment in time saying, unfortunately, the training has been cancelled. So there were a lot of these things happening that were totally outside of my control. And so what I did is I took the opportunity of saying, look, I'm sitting here on a lot of good quality training material. I'm sitting here with a lot of skills. Let's transform them into a new way of delivering it. I don't need to do it live in the classroom. Let's put up an online course. Let's create a number of small videos, some workbooks. Let's put together some quizzes. And at the time, there were some platforms that had just started out that were looking for people to create courses. And of course, I was doing it completely free of charge when I wasn't working and working as a trainer or a coach or a facilitator. And a lot of people say, well, what are you wasting your time doing that for? You've got absolutely no guarantee of return whatsoever. And they were right. And my accountant had that conversation with me. And he was right. You know, he looks at the uh, uh, money's going in and the money's going out and what I'm doing with my time and asking these questions. So I persevered with it. And um, I was speaking to a lot of people at networking events about, oh, this is what I'm doing. And they would look at me and think, I don't quite understand what you're doing, Robin. But, uh, you know, it all sounds very interesting. Off you go. Hope it works for you. And of course, it wasn't until the pandemic hit when suddenly people started to look at online training. Mm. So now I talk to people about online training. I don't have to explain what it is. So I was in a fortunate position whereby I'd been developing courses for five years prior to the pandemic. So as soon as the pandemic hit, boof, my business went up 600% overnight. Wow. Now, I obviously had to ensure that that was maintained and it has grown since. And I've managed to do that. But that's really why I can now sit back and, and look back and say, okay, it was very hard work, but I had to take some big risks and had to do some things that people didn't really quite agree with. <laughs> yes. Uh, you remind me of a, a podcast I was listening to recently. As a podcaster, I, I consume the art that I love to do, right? And so I was listening to one um, with uh, Jeff Bezos and he oh, said, yeah. hey, you know, we've lost billions of dollars and we've made billions of dollars at Amazon. And he says, what we do is that's better than our competitors is we don't think about the short game. Our competitors are looking for a one or two year return. We're looking for a five or 10 year return. And literally yeah. what you said was exactly what you did. You didn't think about today. You thought about two years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now. You're like, how am I going to take what I am doing, what I'm passionate about and make it go? And then it just takes that inflection point. It's like, because I can remember probably five or six years ago when I had colleagues who were going, they were working for Amazon Web Services and they were doing all these things. And they were like, yeah, we don't make any money. Nope, we don't make any money. And they were like, we're losing money hand over fist. And now look at it, right? Like it is one of the premier cloud services that people use all across the world. And so as entrepreneurs, when we're short-sighted and we just look at today or tomorrow or even next year, we're missing the world of opportunities. Yeah, but I think what we've got to do is to get the balance right here because well, I go back to what I said, you've got to put that legal, ethical, decent, honest, 
coin, whatever currency, into your bank account today in order that you can sustain yourself for the long term. But I'm not thinking about 2023. I'm thinking about 2028, 2038. Now, in 2038, I'm hoping to get to the point where I can actually then say, you know, I think I ought to retire now. But um, what's going to happen when I'm not around? Let me put myself 50 years into the future. I'm not going to be here. So I'm thinking about what it is that I can do today that will ensure that there's a sustainability for me in 50 years time, whatever that might be. And we Mm. just don't know. I love it. I love it. So tell us, what is it that you do in your business to help people? Well, I provide training. I provide uh, resources to help people to develop their emotional intelligence and their emotional resilience. So all the courses that I've spoken about underpinned with emotional intelligence. So let's bring that back into the real world. Let's get away from the jargon. I help people to improve their communication, their team working. I help them with conflict management. But I'm on a sales transformation podcast. I help people to sell more. I help people to improve their sales skills and I help people to come to terms with the fact that everybody, whether they like it or not, is a salesperson. So, you know, I've got a course, Sales and Selling with Emotional Intelligence. But, um, you know, when we look at it, we're all influencing, we're all persuading people when we are engaging with them. And how do we do that in an appropriate way to enable people to make the choices that are most appropriate for them? So I'm curious a little bit more about the how that you're doing this. And obviously, you're not going to give us your full dissertation, but you basically are saying that you're helping people to communicate better, deal with conflict, sell better. So you're, you're basically like helping people be better humans. And so help us, like, tell me a little bit more about the how, the mechanics behind how emotional intelligence training actually works. Well, let's strip it right back to the basics. What is emotional intelligence? Emotional intelligence is the way in which you combine your thinking with your feelings in order to make good quality decisions and build up authentic relationships. Now, I didn't know the definition of emotional intelligence. I didn't even know that emotional intelligence existed. The world didn't know that emotional intelligence existed when I was a pharmaceutical salesperson. So when you look at that definition, combining your thinking with your feelings in order to make good quality decisions and build up authentic relationships, that's selling. That's what I was doing in the hospital environment. That's what I was doing in the GP practice. That's what I was doing in the clinics. You are the expert, Dr. So-and-so. Let me help you to make better decisions with regards to managing and treating your patients' conditions and build up better relationships with them. Now, if they had the emotional intelligence to hear that, to understand it and to engage, we could have a good conversation. But as we know, a lot of people are not that emotionally intelligent and they don't see salespeople as offering them anything of any value or any benefit. And we've got an uphill struggle to try and convince them one way or the other. So, uh, you know, again, you've got to use your emotional intelligence. There are times when clients have been 
incredibly rude and very arrogant and very abusive. And I've got to admit, there are some times when I've walked away from that situation, not having risen to the provocation, I hasten to add. I've walked away from that situation, and for some reason it hasn't affected me. So I could go on to the next call, and I could work with the next call as if nothing had happened. And there are other times when I walked away from the situation And I did not respond in that way at all. I remember one occasion, it happened to me just before lunch, and I went and sat in the car, and had I been more inclined, I would have probably burst into tears, but that's not me. (laughs) But I just thought, look, I'm not in a good place now. I might as well go home. Mm. I might as well get my head back into the right space Mm. and treat tomorrow as another day. So when I look back at it, Those were really, really good decisions. So as a salesperson, an entrepreneur, a leader, a manager, there are going to be certain times where, for some reason or another, you're not emotionally in the right space. How do you deal with it? How do you deal with it? And it might just be a case of saying, look, enough's enough. I've got to go home. I've just got to get myself away from here. I've just got to... Go and sort myself out. Give me the time. I'll go home. I'll mow the lawn. I'll, you know, take the dog for a walk. Whatever it is, I just need that space. And there are other times when you can have so many things compounding upon you that anybody else looking and observing would think, crikey, how does he or she do that? How do they take so much? We'll do it. We've just got to recognize in ourselves when is the appropriate time to say, okay, enough's enough. Now is not the moment. Walk away from it. Yes. I think about emotional intelligence. It really makes me think about if to put it in a a nice little packet, it's like that self-regulation. Like when do I speak? When do I not speak? When do I have a lot of emotion? When am I a little bit calmer? Right? So understanding how to temper your emotions, your reactions based on what the situation is that's happening. And a lot of people, it sounds like, oh yeah, I can do that, but it's really not that easy because there are a lot of things in your past, in your childhood, in your previous work environments that may trigger an emotional response. And you're like, but I didn't realize I had that anger within me. So the work that you're doing and and having it in a fashion where people can really do it at their own pace to stop and start and listen and do this and do that is definitely impactful. Sure. And and what I do say to people is, look, when you watch my videos, my videos are not going to make you more emotionally intelligent. What you need to do is to recognize that it will help you with your awareness of emotional intelligence. But you've got to go away and try a few things. You've got to go away and make some mistakes. You've got to go away and get it wrong and realize why it's gone wrong and then try it again in a different way. And it's going to take a time. It's going to take you your lifetime to perfect this art. So -hmm. if you don't get it right within a week or two, don't worry about it. Yeah. At least you're in a better space in a week or two's time than what you are now. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I completely, completely agree. Um, And so somebody wants to start learning a little bit more about emotional intelligence or, or the things that you're doing. Do you have a resource for them? Yeah, sure. Uh, people could go to the website eiforchange.com 
And when you go onto the website, you get the opportunity to sign up for a free book, Develop Your Emotional Intelligence. So please download the book. And there are links there to various other resources. I've got a free course on working with mindfulness, and that's available on the homepage of the i for change website. So I think, quite honestly, that's probably the best place to point people to. Thank you so much, Robin. This has been a fantastic conversation and learning about your sales career and becoming redundant and overcoming redundant and then getting another knockdown when you started in your entrepreneurial journey to this amazing business that you have now. Thank you for your time, your talent and your expertise today. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. And thank you for inviting me onto the podcast. And thank you for your time. Absolutely. Well, Thank you again for joining us. And that has been another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. Remember, in all that you do every day, transform your sales. Until next time.